Hello and welcome to My PGCE, a podcast documenting my journey as a trainee teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James B. Second week of the PGCE, done. And the final week before I start in school. But even though I'm yet to start in school, the week has still been pretty manic. So I think I'll do what I did in last week's episode. I'll start with an overview of the week. Then I'll zoom in on a few things that I found particularly interesting. And then to finish off, I'll talk about my feelings. Oh, but first, a quick corrective. Last week, I spoke about how I thought that writing our teaching philosophies this early on was a bit premature. But I've since had it explained to me by a member of staff that they ask us to write our teaching philosophies before we go into school and then to review them at the end of the course in order to see how our attitude towards teaching has changed throughout, which does indeed make sense. Now, on with this week's overview. I spent a good part of last weekend and Monday doing the suggested reading for our subject studies day, which was on Tuesday, and it was face-to-face. This was our first face-to-face interaction on the course. Everything prior had been online. So I read two chapters of a book called Learning to Teach Mathematics in Secondary School. The first chapter was about why we teach mathematics. And the other chapter was about planning for mathematics learning. And I also read three articles about planning more generally. One about the relationship between planning lessons and learning how to teach. One that challenged the dominant linear model of planning and instead proposed a dialogical approach, which would, in essence, just involve more conversations. And the last article was Rosenshine's Principles of Instruction, research-based strategies that all teachers should know. So that's what I did Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Very fun stuff. I mean, I say that, the implication being that it wasn't fun, but it was in fact very interesting, which is sometimes all you can ask for over a weekend. But anyway, on Tuesday, I had my face-to-face subject studies session. When I first entered the room, I wasn't sure I was in the right place. I thought I had interrupted an exam. Everyone was sat on their own desk, in rows, facing forward, and in complete silence. But it turned out I was in the right place, and that's just how trainee maths teachers like to await the start of the day. So I joined them. And throughout the day, everyone did loosen up a bit. So in that session, we covered teaching philosophies in preparation for our first assignment. We covered planning and resources, and in groups planned our own mini lesson. 
and we covered the subject knowledge audit, which is exactly what it sounds like, an audit of what we know about maths in order to ensure that we do indeed know what we are training to teach. And as part of our audit, we were given several GCSE past papers to do in our own time, homework basically. On Wednesday, the first thing I did was update my to-do list, adding, for instance, the subject knowledge audit exam papers, and then turned my attention to the asynchronous learning materials for Wednesday and Thursday. This was stuff that we had to work through in our own time. Yet when I looked at the asynchronous materials on Moodle, it seemed like I'd already done them all. So I thought, great, I'll get cracking with these exam papers for the subject knowledge audit. And so that morning I did two exam papers, and then I think I spent the afternoon doing or getting started on my teaching philosophy. I think I wrote the first paragraph. But then on Thursday, we received some emails from the department, and I, for one, hadn't a clue what they were talking about. They were talking about some link not working, but I had no clue what this link was or where it was meant to be, which suggested I had overlooked something on Moodle. And I had. So it turned out that whereas during the previous week, each of the asynchronous materials had their own subheading, this week, a load were hiding under the main heading itself. So I had overlooked them and now had only a day to look through them before our live, albeit online, learning and behaviour management session on the Friday. So that's what I did during the latter half of Thursday. It was all stuff to do with learning theories, namely behaviourism, cognitivism and humanism. Then in the live online session on Friday, we covered some of those theories in more detail, in particular those of Piaget and Vygotsky, who both fall into the cognitivism-constructivism camp. And we were meant to do some stuff on behaviour management, but ended up running out of time, so that's another thing I've had to add to my to-do list to go through those resources on my own, or asynchronously. But the main homework from that session was to create a revision placemat for one learning theory, other than Piaget or Vygotsky, because we'd already been through them in the session, and upload it ahead of our face-to-face -face session on Monday. And that, I think, brings us up to date. Okay, so the first thing I want to zoom in on is one of the chapters I read in preparation for our Subject Studies Day on Tuesday. It was the chapter about planning for mathematics learning. And I want to talk about the extent to which planning a maths lesson, or perhaps even a lesson in general, is just about planning a story because it seems to come up again and again. And narrative is something I'm very interested in. 
First, the authors talk about how lesson planning can help you ensure that your lessons begin interestingly, maintain a good pace throughout, and have a satisfying ending. Well, those are just the three acts of any narrative. They talk about how breaking down learning into lesson-sized chunks, though necessary for teaching, can result in a fragmentation of topics and ideas, if the teaching is solely thought of in terms of individual lessons. So imagine if you just saw, say, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire without having any idea of the bigger narrative. Or better yet, imagine you're J.K. Rowling trying to write The Goblet of Fire with no knowledge of the overarching Harry Potter storyline. It would indeed make the film or the story feel fragmented. And the same can happen in lessons if you don't keep the overarching topic in mind when you're planning. They go on to talk about how teachers in China have developed a framework called Three Points. And these points are the lesson's key point, which is the central learning intention of the lesson that the students must grasp, the lesson's difficult point, that is the cognitive difficulty that students might encounter as they try to learn the key point, and then the lesson's critical point, that's how to help students eventually reach the key point while avoiding or overcoming the pitfalls that might arise because of the difficult point. Again, these three points neatly align with the three acts of a narrative. Conflict, struggle and resolution. Later they talk about how it's important to ensure the continuity and logical progression of student learning. So what do they mean by logical progression? I think they are essentially just talking about cause and effect which is one of the essentials of immersive storytelling. A linked series of events, one thing happening after another, that creates a dynamic chain of occurrence. It's vital in storytelling, and so too it seems vital in lesson planning. And finally, they talk about the teachable moment. That's the moment in which a student can learn the most and how it's always unpredictably emergent. So first of all, this teachable moment seems to align closely with the so-called critical point in the Chinese three-point system. But this teachable moment also seems to be the point in the story when either all is won or all is lost. Think of Frodo with the ring standing over the cracks of doom. It's the moment when it can go one way or the other. So yes, lessons seem to be stories. And learning how to plan a lesson seems to be about learning how to tell a story. And so I guess my question is, what sort of story should the lesson be? Overcoming the monster? Rags to Riches, The Quest, Voyage and Return, Comedy, Tragedy, Rebirth. 
and what role should the teacher play? The next thing I want to zoom in on is the subject studies day itself, in particular, an argument that nearly broke out. We were asked to list what we thought were the six most important qualities for a maths teacher. So I wrote subject knowledge, pedagogical content knowledge, so that's just knowing how to teach your subject, patience, empathy, communication skills and enthusiasm. Now, in the discussion afterwards, the lad in front of me seemed to suggest that being a good maths teacher was almost incompatible with the quality of empathy. He thought that being logical and mathematical somehow precluded being empathetic. But also that this didn't really matter because maths was the best subject and all other subjects were less important by comparison. Now, I started to jump in here, but was cut off by a lady on the other side of the classroom who basically told him off for thinking this way. And I agreed with everything she said, and I think she said it far better than I could have done. But it got me thinking about a chapter I had read over the summer in The Philosophy of Mathematics Education Today, edited by Paul Ernest. And the chapter was called The Ethics of Mathematics, Is Mathematics Harmful? Written by Ernest himself. And he talks about a few ways in which mathematics causes collateral damage. First, the overvaluation of mathematics in society and education negatively impacts the confidence and self-esteem of lower attaining students. This leaves them feeling inhibited, belittled, or rejected by mathematical culture, and perhaps even rejected by the educational system and society overall. He says that in sorting and labelling learners and citizens in modern society, mathematics reduces the life chances of those labelled as mathematical failures or rejects. He goes on, Even for successful students, Mathematics shapes thought in an amoral and ethics-free way, which supports instrumentalism and ethics-free government, which leads to the objectification and dehumanisation of persons in business, society and politics, and has the potential to cause great harm, as manifested in warfare, in the psychopathic actions of some corporations, the exploitation of humans and the environment, and in all acts that treat persons as objects rather than moral beings deserving respectful and dignified treatment throughout. Now, that's a pretty damning indictment of mathematics. So, should we stop teaching mathematics altogether? No, because mathematics is also an incredible force for good. But Ernest does recommend that philosophy and ethics are taught alongside mathematics at all stages from school to university to reduce the collateral damage. So yes, mathematics certainly isn't the best subject, or at least it's no better than any other. 
and empathy for a maths teacher is vital. Okay, now on to feelings. On the whole, I'd say I feel okay. I felt a little overwhelmed at the end of the subject studies session on Tuesday because we'd had so much information thrown at us throughout the day. But I'd taken extensive notes throughout and once I had distilled this information down and assimilated it into my to-do list, I felt much better. In fact, that seems to be a strategy that I find myself turning to more often. So I feel overwhelmed. I stop, take a breath, try to identify what's actionable. So pick out from the mess of information the things that I need to do and then write them down on my to-do list in deadline order. It helps me reclaim a sense of control. That said, my anxiety still spiked on Wednesday. And I know why. It was for two reasons. First, I have a morning routine, which kind of sets me up for the day. I get up, I eat breakfast, I do a Wim Hof guided breathing session, and then I have a shower, the last few minutes of which is a cold shower. This again is part of the Wim Hof method. I recommend checking him out. That's W-I-M-H-O-F-F. Anyway, that's what I normally do in the morning. But on Wednesday, I found myself doing bits of work on my laptop before I had done my morning routine, which made my anxiety spike. Now, I don't really know why this is, but I have a general theory. It's to do with the stress hormone cortisol. So one of the things cortisol helps us do is wake up in the morning. So in the morning, our cortisol levels are naturally high. In fact, this is one of the reasons that some people say you should wait until later in the morning before having your first caffeinated drink of the day, because caffeine also raises your cortisol levels. Now, given that I have an anxiety problem, it makes sense to think that my cortisol levels are perhaps higher than average at the best of times let alone first thing in the morning. I think my morning routine of eating, doing some guided breathing exercises, and then showering, helps me bring my cortisol levels back down to a manageable level. So if I skip my routine or postpone it, and instead start working, that's likely to add even more stress which can perhaps take me over the threshold into anxiety. Now, that may all be pseudoscientific nonsense, but all I know is that my morning routine seems to be important for managing my anxiety. If I skip it and go straight into work, often I feel especially anxious. 
And that, I think, was the first thing that went wrong on Wednesday. The second thing was my attitude towards the GCSE exam papers, which were part of the subject knowledge audit. I found myself struggling on certain questions, which I hadn't really expected and which I found particularly stressful. I was basically in exam mode, which I haven't been in for years, and I think may have induced some sort of mild PTSD. So I had to remind myself that though I was doing an exam paper, it wasn't in preparation for an actual exam. Everything's fine. It was just an audit of my subject knowledge. Once I had got that through my head, whenever I started to struggle on a question, instead of struggling, I just made a note of it so that I can revise the topic later, which is all I need to do. Now, one last thing that I think is contributing to my overall anxiety level is this podcast. It's taking a bit longer to record than I had hoped and I don't think I really have all that time to devote to it and I haven't even started school yet. So in the future I'm going to do a briefer overview of the week and then zoom in on only one thing. So I think last week I zoomed in on three, this week it was two, but I think one will have to suffice. And also I'm still struggling with perfectionism, which really draws out the recording process. So I need to learn to be fine with putting out an episode that isn't polished and perfect. And I'll only do that by putting out such episodes. So you can expect future episodes to be a little rougher around the edges. But to end on a high note... Even though my anxiety is high, I'd say that on the whole, it's no higher than usual. But my depression at the moment is non-existent. It has been thoroughly banished by the sense of purpose the PGCE has given me. See you next week. If you like the episode, please spread the word in person and on social media. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at MyPGCEPod or email MyPGCEPod at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash MyPGCEPod and helping fund both the podcast and MyPGCE course. Thank you and talk again soon.